Please go ahead and turn to Galatians 6 for our preaching text this morning, or this afternoon, excuse me. So Pastor Josh and I were talking recently about, about um, money and how there hasn't been a sermon on giving in here in quite a while. I know a lot of pastors get really uh, nervous about preaching on giving because they'll think that people will think they're trying to get their money, uh, but I'm not worried because I received no <laughs> paycheck from this church. <laughs> and, uh, and on top of that, uh, giving is something that I have found a, a great blessing. I really do believe what she has said, that it is uh, greater to give than to receive. And uh, this is uh, a virtue that my parents instilled in me in an early age. And so I love talking about giving. And uh, this verse came to mind, this, uh, and I'd like, to, uh, I'd like to share it with you. I'd like to give you a new way of, of thinking about giving. Let's go to, uh, not, not a, uh, I don't think I'm introducing a new way, but it might be a way that you have not considered. <laughs> All right, let's read Galatians 6, uh, verses 1 through 10. Please stand for the reading of God's word. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he has something when he has nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. You may be seated. Dear Heavenly Father, pray that this afternoon you would bless the reading and preaching of your word, that you would help us to be uh, right givers with good hearts who are uh, giving sincerely as unto you, because uh, giving to your ministry is to you. Pray that you would assist us as we uh, consider these words, that you would open our hearts and minds, that we might understand your truth and be changed by it. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so as I said, you know, giving is something I care a lot about. I recently uh, spent four years, you know, studying giving and writing a book on giving. And uh, when I was a little kid, my parents emphasized giving a lot so that I was very excited. And the, uh, the denomination I grew up in, there'd be these little yellow barrels with these orange lids that you would fill up with, with coins. To, uh, the kids would fill up with coins to prepare for Sunday. And I loved trying to get that as full as I could because it was taught to me at an early age that that God richly rewarded giving. I was never deceived into thinking that I would necessarily receive those ward, rewards in this life, but I knew that, that uh, it was a great opportunity to give and that uh, God rewards those who seek after him and those who, those who labor for his kingdom. And so I want to share some of that love for giving with you today, and I want to give you a way you may not have thought about giving before that might help you, and that is that giving you know, when we're talking about giving to a minister or to ministry, is shared suffering. Giving is shared suffering. Now, that might not sound like something that would 
get you excited about giving? Why would I be excited to suffer? But I think that, you know, as you consider it, you know, it might open your mind to think uh, more fully, see the bigger biblical picture about giving. And Lord willing, as you're enlightened, it will uh, encourage your heart to, to enjoy giving more. So this, this verse that I want to talk to you about, uh, Galatians 6.6, 6, let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Uh, this is very clearly a passage about making sure that teachers in the church are well supported. Uh, the one who teaches, obviously a pastor or someone else who is liberate, uh, laboring in the ministry of the word, and uh, the one who is taught the word being the, the one who is you know, sitting under the teaching. He should share all good things. All good things referring to, to anything, you know, it could be uh, to encouragement, prayer, but uh, especially in mind here is material possessions. Now, uh, this, this is all in a context of bearing each other's burdens. You know, in verse 2, it says, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. How do you bear a teacher's burdens? Well, you help them by sharing of your good things. You help them by sharing of your material possessions. Now, a lot of people read this and they don't see that there's a connection between that first part that's talking about bearing one another's burdens and the second part. But there's a, a word that's left off in most translations. It's the Greek word de, which just means but. And it doesn't always mean uh, but in the way that we think of that conjunction. And so it's, uh, it's just left off here because it's, it doesn't necessarily add anything to the meaning of the, the text to, to add it that way. But I want you to know that, that that word signifies that what happens in verse 6 is connected to what came before it. So while I don't take issue with the way translators have translated it, the Bible lets us know in the original Greek text that this section comes, uh, it, it necessarily follows what what happened before, that this is not starting some new idea. This is talking more about bearing one another's burdens. So we bear one another's burdens by sharing all good things with the one who teaches. Now, that's very simple. It's very simply right there in that passage, but I'd like to go ahead and back up and look at a lot of other verses that explain this uh, more fully. So first of all, it should be apparent that uh, labor is a kind of suffering, right? Uh, burden, um, you know, the Bible talks about bearing each other's burdens. A burden is a kind of suffering, and labor is a suffering. You know, Paul lists it when he lists all his different persecutions and things that he endured. He talks about his suffering. Go ahead and uh, turn to 1 Corinthians 4. And if, uh, I'm going to go through several passages, so if you're not able to keep up, that's okay. But, um, I would like to go through a lot of these passages about Paul's sufferings. And as he talks in First and Second Corinthians about his sufferings, he always includes, you know, in addition to being beat, to being put near death, that he also had to work with his hands. So in First uh, Corinthians 4.11, he says, To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. So there he talks about being hungry and thirsty for Christ's sake as he's, as he's going out and sharing the gospel. He talks about um, 
being poorly dressed, buffeted, homeless. And then he adds, he has to labor, working with his own hands. This is one of the sufferings, one of the persecutions that he endures. Now, if you skip ahead to 1 Corinthians 6, excuse me, 2 Corinthians 6, he says something very similar. In 2 Corinthians 6, uh, beginning in verse uh, beginning in verse 4, he says, But as servants of God, we commend ourselves in every way by great endurance and afflictions, hardships, calamities, beatings, imprisonments, riots, labors, sleepless nights, hunger. So here, once again, listing all these different these different difficulties and trials he has to endure for the sake of Christ. And right there in the middle of all of them, he talks about his labors, having to work with his hands, you know, what a lot of people refer to as tent making, because Paul made tents to be able to support his own ministry, should they have the money to uh, travel around and to be able to support himself as he, as he uh, shared the gospel. In 2 Corinthians 11, he once again says something similar. Uh, in verse, in verse uh, 23, are they servants of Christ? I am a better one. I am talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked at night and a day. I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys, in dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless nights, and hunger and thirst, often without food, and cold and exposure. So here he talks about toil, and before that he talks about his labor, right? And so all these go side by side with being shipwrecked, you know, all these, all these sacrifices, all these persecutions he makes, he puts manual labor right there side by side with all the things that we typically think of as persecution, right? We typically think of, you know, getting beat for the sake of the gospel. Oh, getting shipwrecked for the sake of the gospel. These things are, are persecutions for the sake of Christ. But here we have, he had to work with his hands. Now, we don't normally think that way of, of working as being suffering, but Paul puts it right there as being one of the things that he endures for the sake of Christ. And so Paul engages in suffering. Now, there's a, uh, there's a lot of uh, books written these days and pastors who talk about a theology of work because there are a lot of people who um, you know, have difficulty wondering about if their work is worthwhile. And while work is dignifying and God has given us it to us, uh, a lot of people miss the picture uh, of the fall, right? The fall has come and it has changed what work is, right? Work used to be this, this very creative thing where Adam was, you know, subduing the earth and, and advancing things forward. And Adam uh, got to name the animals, you know, doing very creative things. But then after the curse, he had to labor by the sweat of his brow just to exist. So some, some work is that creative kind of work where we're subduing the earth, getting to be creative, using the skills that God has given us to, to do uh, fascinating things. But other aspects of work are just manual labor in order to survive. 
Now, the one who, who focuses on just that first kind of work, that pre-fall kind of work, and says that that's what's valuable and that's what's glorifying to God, and misses the fact that, well, you know, if you're not laboring in order to survive, if you're not taking care of your family and your, yourself so that you're not dependent on others, that also glorifies God to do those things. Uh, you end up with people who have this mixed picture of what makes work valuable. You know, I encounter a lot of people uh, in my industry in software engineering who uh, are Christians and they want to serve God with what they do. And since they're in a creative field, they feel that in order to really serve God, they have to be working on, on something that's pushing the kingdom forward somehow. Maybe it's, maybe it's access to the internet and they think that that will give people more access to the gospel. Or maybe it's some kind of uh, uh, charity program, you know, something that has to do with supporting charity organizations. And when they're not working on doing that, when they end up having to work on the, in the billing department or, or some other aspect of the industry that's not so obviously connected to the advancement of God's kingdom, they feel that they're not doing God's work anymore and they're not pleasing God. And they, I, I have known people who have personally quit their jobs and uh, gone off into the mission field in no way really prepared for missions, you know, in no way uh, educated in a way that they'd be able to educate others because they don't think that they're doing God's work well enough because of the particular job that they had. But that's not the case. You know, Paul counts labor with his own hands as being something that pleases God if it's for the sake of something that God desires. And here, it's for the sake of the gospel. If you are, if you are laboring so that you have uh, money to not be dependent on others, uh, that, is, that is excellent. If you're laboring so that you're able to support your family, that is excellent. And so, yeah, when I, a lot of people talk about how, you know, their work is part of their ministry and that, you know, it's a mission field. Well, I applaud that, but when I tell them the primary reason that I, that I work is to, to support myself and my family, a lot of times Christians who have over-spiritualized work, you know, say that, <laughs> say that, uh, th- th- they think that that sounds very unbiblical of me to think that that's the primary reason I should be working. But here we see, here we see a good example of just laboring with your hands in order to support someone is valuable in itself. So that first kind of work, the, uh, the pre-fall work, creative things, those are all good, but that's icing on the cake. The, the meat of the cake while we're here on this earth awaiting the redemption of, of, this, uh, of this creation so that it's made new, uh, the, the meat of that cake, that's not the right way of saying it, but the, the cake of that cake, <laughs> that, is, uh, uh, that is just hard work so that you're not dependent on others and you're able to support others. And the, the icing is getting to participate in those, those pre-fall aspects of work, of being creative. So labor is a kind of suffering, but labor is also shared suffering. Uh, if you turn to, and I would like you to actually turn to this one, Hebrews 11, or excuse me, Hebrews 10. Paul, uh, well, I think it's Paul, but whoever the author of Hebrews is, he talks about, um, he talks about persecution and what persecution entails. He doesn't use the, uh, the word persecution. You know, that's never translated that way here, but it's very clear that he's talking about a people who have undergone persecution and, and what this persecution look like. So he says in Hebrews 10, 32, But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being exposed to reproach and affliction, sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property, since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. 
So here, some of the people uh, have been put in prison. Some of the people have compassion on those put in prison. Some of them have been plundered. Some of them are sharing what they have with those who are plundered. And the author of Hebrews is putting those side by side as people who have suffered for the sake of the gospel, as people who have bared each other's burdens, bared each other's burdens and suffered together. So you see, the one who, the one who uh, gives to another who is directly suffering for the sake of the gospel is himself joining in that suffering, joining in that persecution, and being a full participant in it. Uh, when we give to ministry, we are a full partner in ministry. You know, you might, you might think, well, you know, God hasn't especially gifted me to be a teacher. God hasn't especially gifted me to be a, minist- uh, uh, a missionary. How can I, um, you know, and I know God rewards faithfulness. How can I uh, be a greater part of his kingdom? How can I uh, really invest in order to, you know, on that last day when he says, well done, good and faithful servant, you know, have a lot of, ha- have a lot of oomph in that well done, and faith- well done uh, good and faithful servant. Well, here's your answer. You don't have to go out into the mission field. You don't have to uh, be yourself a, a proclaimer of the gospel in some kind of formal capacity. All you have to do is be a partner with one who is doing that. And you are going hand in hand with them for a good work. Uh, yeah, there is, uh, you know, any kind of, any kind of investment. Uh, you know, in the world, you've got, you've got, businesses that do things and they've got financial uh, people who come beside them and uh, give them money in order to do that work. And what are they called? They're called partners, right? This is, uh, this is real partnership. God's economy doesn't work any differently. You know, a lot of times, uh, if you're familiar with Kickstarter or Patreon or things like that, there's a lot of ways to, to give to a particular project. And once, once you've given to it, you know, when the credits roll at the end of this movie or whatever you funded, you know, your name will be <laughs> listed in the credits. There's a, there's a member of this church who funded a printing of John Gill's commentary on the whole Bible. This is back before Kickstarter and Patreon. And, you know, his name is in the back of the book as being a partner who is who has uh, helped doing this labor. So when we, uh, when we give to ministry, it is though we are directly engaged in that ministry ourselves, even if we don't have those particular gifts, when we come side by side with a minister so that he does not have to engage in that suffering of labor, so that he is free of manual labor, so that he is free to do the t- teaching and engage in another kind of suffering, then you have two suffering servants together doing this work of ministry, two who will both reap uh, the rewards and the blessings of God as he, as he rewards those who seek him. And so uh, this, in the end, this is the, this is the heart of the gospel, this idea of shared suffering. Uh, Jesus Christ became a man, a man with weakness. He shared with us in our suffering and has us share in his suffering, and share in the sufferings of our brothers and sisters in Christ. He wants us to share in suffering. He has made us into one body, and this is what we are to do. And this is, this is good news because, because what he has done is not given us this, this new rule to follow, and that, well, now you have to, you know, before you didn't have to give, now you've got to give. What he has done is made us free from death, knowing that we will have eternal life, so that we do not have to uh, live this life latching on to every last thing as though, uh, you know, we'll die and that's the end and try to, try to somehow 
maintain what we cannot maintain. He has freed us so that we can give freely without any fear of, of loss in the end because we know that we are just stewards of these things. We know they will all be uh, lost in a temporary perspective and the only thing is to be gained is to make an eternal investments with what is only temporary. So I hope you can see why, why thinking of uh, giving as a shared suffering is of great value because it frees us it frees us to uh, recognize that we can give to ministry and be full partners in that ministry. And uh, even though we don't have the gifts that some others may have, we are able to partner with them and work with them in, in such a way that God is pleased as though we are taking part in that very work. I hope, this, uh, I hope you find this encouraging. I hope you uh, consider this and enjoy giving all the more, as you know that you are working fully in this work, that you are, you are sharing in sufferings with the body of Christ. There's, you know, the uh, first Corinthians talks about, you know, if, if one part of the body is hurting, you know, the whole body hurts. You participate in that. You, uh, you bear some of that load by giving. And there are many promises that come with this. There are many promises. First, uh, and these promises, they are let me state it this way. They are not causal, but they are conditional. What I mean is that they do not, uh, these verses do not mean that because you give, you will be saved, uh, as though uh, giving causes salvation. But they are conditional in that one who is saved is one who gives, one who shares in sufferings. Let me give you an example. Romans 8, 16 through 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You know, what is necessary in order to be a co-heir with Christ? We have to suffer with him in order that we might be co-heirs with him. You know, you will not, uh, you will not be a co-heir with him if you are not willing to suffer with him, if you're not willing to suffer with his body. There's also Second uh, Corinthians 7, where Paul is talking about, he's talking about comfort and suffering, and he says, our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. As the Corinthians pray for Paul, as they, as they assist Paul and support Paul, they share in his sufferings, and he is certain that as they share in his sufferings, as they share in his sufferings, they will also share in his comfort that at the end of days when he is comforted, they will be comforted as well. And then you have the very passage we started out on, Galatians, Galatians 6. Galatians 6 continues on after verse 6. Well, I'll go ahead and read verse 6. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked for whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are the household of faith. So uh, let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. God is not mocked. Someone who invests 
all their money into themselves and into their own pleasures, uh, he does not reward that. He rewards those who sow, uh, those who sow well, those who sow to the spirit rather than to the flesh, those who sow to the work of God, becoming partners, bearing one another's burdens, sharing that suffering of ministry with ministers. And so we can rest in that hope that as he has freed us to be good stewards, he will richly reward those who freely are good stewards. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, once again, I ask that you would help us to think about uh, giving rightly, and that as we consider it as a, a shared suffering, that we would be excited for this, this opportunity, this opportunity to, to have battle scars on this earth where we have, have uh, fought and suffered for your name rather than uh, just investing into ourselves. And I pray that on that last day, as we are with each other, that we would be able to glory in what you have done through us, pointing not to any physical scars that we have on our bodies, but pointing to what you have done in us and pointing to those sufferings that you brought us through for the glory of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. In his name we pray. Amen.